multimedia is now all about perfection, right? Um, you know, be, being really, really great at it. And there are lots of, of uh, examples you can look to and, you know, classes you can take, books you can read and, you know, uh, things like that. When there's something that's brand new, for example, generative AI, how do you be perfect at that? Mm -hmm. Welcome to Newhouse Impact, a collaboration between the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications and WAER. I'm Kevin Claus. On this episode, I chat with Syracuse University professor Dan Pacheco. Dan teaches digital journalism at the Newhouse School and is the author of a recent book, Experimenting with Emerging Media Platforms. He and I discuss professional uses for artificial intelligence, wearable tech, and the importance of field testing. Let's jump in. Dan, thanks so much for coming by today. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Kevin. I'm excited. So I just want to dive straight into to the concept of the book, uh, Experimenting with Emerging Media Platforms. What's the motivation behind you deciding to dedicate a lot of time to write this book? Yeah, so it was all last summer and much time before that. Uh, this book really came out of a, a lot of things. First, there, it, it, it really encapsulates a lot of what I've done in my career even before I was a professor. So I've been teaching here at Newhouse for about 11 years now, which is amazing to me. <laughs> I've never done anything that long mm -hmm. before. Uh, but before that, I did a lot of stuff in what was then – kind of like the, you know, called new media, which was when this new technology called the internet showed up. And it's like, wow, you could actually use it. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with that, it was just, there was, there was no textbook really, you know, to tell you, you know, how do you get started? Everything was, you know, you had to learn it yourself. Um, a lot of us did that and it really paid off for us. So when I came here, um, as a professor uh, in uh, journalism innovation, I'm the uh, Peter A. Horvitz Endowed Chair in Journalism Innovation. Uh, the job was really to kind of help students be prepared for that, to always be 10 to 20 percent ahead uh, of change and be ready to you know, adopt change and kind of run towards it um, instead of being the changed. Um, so that, that's really kind of the, the impetus. It's, um, it's, it's my it, it kind of encapsulates what I teach but also what I believe in, you know, and I want our students who go into all media careers to really be change makers. Now, you mentioned that the book's written. You're doing a lot of that work summer 2022. Just focusing in on that time a little bit. How hard is it to write a book about <laughs> emerging media, new developments, new platforms yes. at any specific time? Knowing that while you're working on a chapter, a segment, 12 new ideas are coming up, three more have just been yes. killed. How much of a, of a challenge is it to write about emerging media knowing that your work's not going to be consumed in the moment? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's always the, the challenge, even with teaching this. Mm -hmm. And so really um, what the book does, it, it does get into some, you know, quote unquote, currently emerging technologies, which have changed in the last year. In fact, AI is the big one. Mm -hmm. um, and I did address that in, in the book. But I have a class called Emerging Media Platforms that I've been teaching for the last about roughly six years. And that class has the same problem. And so really what's um, come about is the class and the book, which you don't have to take a class to read the book. It's actually for media professionals as well as students, hobbyists, and anybody. But there's kind of a process that emerged 
from having you know now hundreds of students kind of go through basically you know approach that problem. Um, and so it's really kind of the, the process you go through, uh, which is the, the field test. So the, the uh, subtitle of the book is Field Testing the Future. That's really what you're doing, right? So if there's something you're really interested in that you think is going to really fundamentally change the way the media you produce is produced, how you produce it, or how it's consumed, um, then instead of just uh, you know putting all your time and energy into that um, in this process, you basically – Find a problem, a t- you know, a, a small but significant problem with a target audience that you could solve in a new way, an information problem. That you could solve in a new way um, and uh, in a short amount of time. So you're spending little to preferably no money if you're a student and it's, it's your time, right? And then you have a hypothesis for how, you know, something like, you know, augmented reality, for example, could be used to help a museum reach people during the pandemic. We had a lot of innovation during the pandemic because of Mm -hmm. how much, you know, we were all kind of removed from each other. Um, And then you kind of, you know, uh, put together, you know, you you learn enough to be dangerous. You create something, you know, really, uh, you know, really cool, but really, you know, focused. And then you have a target audience. And you then get some data. And based on that, sometimes in, in the startup world, which I came out of before I came here, mm-hmm. they call it a minimum vi- viable product or MVP. And this is really like kind of an MVP approach. Uh, or um, uh, the, the book by Eric Rice, The Lean Startup, kind of gets into this. But it's focused on uh, information, media, storytelling. So you talked a little bit about field tests there. Um, for, for someone who's just kind of coming to this type of conversation maybe for the first time, when you say field test, what are you really talking about for someone? It's um, taking the kind of the, uh, the little bit that you learn about how to create something that's totally new, right? Um, for example, when chatbots first kind of appeared on the scene, there were all these chatbot tools. And it's like, well, okay, you can make a chatbot or you can make an Alexa skill, Right, and these 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 you know um, tools became available, and uh, I think the tendency of um, professionals <laughs> is to basically be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And um, really, in any kind of you know media profession, yours, right? You want you know this podcast. We want it to be perfect at the end, right? Mm-hmm. With the field test, the goal is not to be perfect. The goal is to get information about whether you or anybody should invest more in a particular technology, if the technology is ready or not, um, you know, for that use, uh, determine if, uh, you know, uh, the audience that you're targeting is ready for it, you know, if they're ready to accept it. And the only way you're going to know that it's not going to, you're not going to learn that by just sitting around thinking, hmm, yeah, you know, I thought about it and I think that it is ready and this could be great. So, you know, if your business you know, and, and you work that way, and then it's like we're going to spend ten thousand dollars on this new technology. Well, if you didn't kick the tires a little bit, you could very well paint yourself into a corner, right? So, so, so a field test is not about being perfect. Perfect is the enemy of the good or even the possible, right? When things are you know emerging, you really have to um, just you know take little baby steps, but then make sure that it's not just gimmicky things, right? Mm-hmm. So. I think the uh, the real art is, um, you know, figuring out something that you can create that would um, inform people better, 
uh, delight them more, um, you know, engage them in some way that they, you know, help them understand things, relate to, uh, you know, a story, a person, you know, a complicated topic in a better way than you could by writing a story, doing a video, uh, doing just plain audio. You know, we are long past the days when multimedia is mm-hmm. is considered innovative, but at one time it was, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's still a lot of people who who look at multimedia as being kind of the edge of innovation. Multimedia is now all about perfection, right? Um, you know, be, being really, really great at it, and there are lots of of uh, examples you can look to, and you know, classes you can take, and books you can read, and you know, uh, things like that. When there's something that's brand new, for example, generative AI, how do you be perfect at that? Mm-hmm. The technology itself is not perfect, as we're all finding out. Um, but there are, you know, really amazing things that people are able to do faster, um, you know, uh, less expensively. You know, all these different, um, you know, like AI is the perfect. Uh, type of field test for somebody to do right now. I've had some students actually do some uh, field tests with AI that are mind blowing, <laughs> um, which I can get into. But yeah. so, with such a focus on field tests, at any point either in your book or if not, maybe maybe just here, you can share with us. Are there examples of good field tests and bad field tests, or su- successful and failed, if you will? Yeah. So actually, I'm glad you brought up uh, that term "failed" because. Uh, you can, as long as you actually go through all the steps in a field test, there is no failure. Okay. So a big part of it is that at the end of, you, you basically kind of go through this process and you document everything and take notes. And at the end of it, um, you produce the thing that you said you would and you test it with the audience. But then you also um, share what didn't work, right? Sure. Because you're giving, you, you m- the goal for field test is really to help other innovators also understand. Okay, well, you know, should I go down that path or not? Is it is that the right you know approach yet? Or, you know, maybe you know someone sees something that you you did and you missed something, and say, like, oh, I can do something better. Or, in, you know, two years, the problem you ran into has has disappeared. Um, so the only way you fail is just by stopping. And a lot of people actually, uh, just in life in general, stop when things are not kind of, you know, easy and and convenient. So if you want to be, you know, truly be innovative, you're going to have, I mean, there's going to be a trail of blood behind you. <laughs> It'll be your blood, <laughs> right? Uh, you, you, you know, you, you're going to, you're going to hit walls. You're going to, you know, fall down. It's, you know, you got to get back up on the horse and just try different things. Um, so, Getting back to the field test, though, mm-hmm. a lot of these reports, which I, I kind of go through some, you know, some examples in the book, uh, the the failures are the best parts, <laughs> um, you know, and, and and they're also quite interesting, right? I mean, have you ever watched, you know, watched a movie where somebody set out to do something and it went perfectly? It's probably a really boring movie, right? Right. So the the story of innovation, I think, is as important as the actual innovation. And if someone wants to be an innovator, they have they have to try things and fail. We need to talk about that more and just be open about it. Important to have a dialogue about that, absolutely. So the first couple of chapters, you you really kind of say that you're planting the seeds, and then after those first couple of chapters, you start to look at those technological innovations. Personal standpoint for you, was there a chapter that you were especially 
happy to be able to dig into one that you found specifically interesting. Anything that kind of stands out amongst the different chapters you were able to put together? So the one that actually surprised me the most was uh, the chapter on change theories. Mm -hmm. Um, I think partly because I'm not a traditional academic. And so I am somebody who has in his career basically been throwing spaghetti in the walls (laughs) to see what sticks. (laughs) Um, That's a better analogy than blood, right? Uh, (laughs) It's a little more family friendly. Sure. Yeah, there we go. We can edit that out. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, the the chapter on change theories, um, I, I knew about some of these, but some of them I did not know. And uh, there was one that at first I thought, this is a really um, pretty basic theory. And so it wasn't interesting to me until I really delved into it. It's called the technology acceptance model or Mm -hmm. TAM. Mm -hmm. And TAM basically uh, says that um, at a high level, no matter how much you believe your technology is going to be, you know, is going to be the next big thing, if people aren't ready for it, it's not going to go anywhere. Right. So... And, 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 and we see that again and again. So when I first came here, um, after, well, about in the first, like about a year after I, I came here, this new technology called Google Glass came out. And I thought, as a lot of people thought, it's like, this is going to change everything in media, right? I remember this. And, uh, you know, I, with, uh, you know, the help of our dean at the time, Dean Lorraine Branham, I, I got a pair and... Uh, you know, uh, Lorraine said, it's like, let's get one for every department. Okay. So then every department had a Google Glass and we were all walking around and we were, you know, doing the okay glass and winking to take pictures and everything. And then uh, starting in San Francisco, uh, there was uh, a problem that uh, kind of got media attention, which is that somebody was taking, was wink taking a picture of someone in a bar and then they ended up getting in a fight. And I won't say, the term that came from that, but basically Google Glass became associated with, with uh, uh, you know, pr- a privacy, uh, people who want to violate privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, society wasn't ready for that. In fact, we haven't really seen any successful wearable cameras since then. Um, you know, Snapchat tried it with spectacles. Uh, they never really fully, you know, uh, pushed it out. Uh, you know, Google's supposedly going to come out with new glasses. Facebook has these Ray-Ban glasses. I have yet to meet anybody who has those, and I've never seen them on someone because there's a big camera that lights up, right? So, uh, yeah, the technology acceptance model, I mean, it's probably the most important thing to keep in mind, right? And, it, and it's directly relevant to field testing uh, a new technology. So I'm interested specifically with what you're just talking about right there with the wearable tech and the quote-unquote failure that Google, that Google had there. Because something you said before was if if culture or society is not ready to accept it yet, that that can be a problem. For something like wearable tech, is that a, hey, it failed, we're not going to pick that up again? Or is that a, hey, it failed, some time has passed, society has moved, yes. and then we pick it back up and run with it? Well, the, the latter, right? And so there's sort of this interplay between – uh, between society, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what people are, are ready for, what they're used to, um, and also, you know, the state of the technology. Sure. And it could be, you know, something as simple as battery life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also with anything wearable, like it's got to look good, right? Sure. So fashion plays into that. Um, and I mean, you know, on that note, you look at something like the Oculus Quest, which even a year ago was like this, you know, it was like the the big Christmas gift to give. 
and nobody's buying them anymore because they look weird mm-hmm. and you're socially isolated, right? So um, you, you always run into those uh, challenges. But then, you know, um, you know, Apple is you know supposedly going to dabble in, into this area of, of uh, you know mixed reality. Microsoft did, then they f- fired everybody. <laughs> They're no longer in that space. Right. It's sort of like these these things are kind of a bubbling cauldron of um, you know possibility, right? They they kind of come and go, and and I, and I don't really think that it's companies that make things happen mm-hmm. in the end. Sure, I think there's sort of a misunderstanding around that. It's really people, and in many cases, it's not just the people using the technologies. It's um, the open source developers who are who are really creating the the underlying fundamental um, possibilities. So, you know, what I think will be interesting is you know Microsoft, you know, hired and um, uh, you know utilized a whole bunch of developers on mixed reality, right? And they were mm-hmm. one of the early ones, and then they. They got rid of them all. Now they're focused on AI. Those developers aren't just – it's not like they disappear. Sure. They still right. keep they, – they go into GitHub and they start, you know, making other things. You know, they, they can't create exactly the same thing. But sometimes the companies they had worked for allow those projects to go open source knowing that, you know, uh, those developers will kind of continue um, down that path. Mm-hmm. And that's something I, I get into in the book too. There's a whole chapter – my favorite chapter, which I don't know it would be everyone's favorite chapter to read, is the one on coding because I'm a firm believer that if you want to be able to really kind of dance on the edge of possibility when it comes to technology, you have to not necessarily be a coder but be comfortable with using other people's code. Sure. Um, and in you know places like GitHub – you can go in there. You can actually you can see something that was created by some huge company, and if you kind of uh, you know view the source code, mm-hmm. uh, you can see that oh they're using a JavaScript library. If you know what that is, then you know that oh I can go to GitHub and I can see if that's open source. If it is, bingo! Suddenly you can even if you don't use it yourself, you uh, can kind of dream up a way to use it and then find a developer that you partner with to then make something new. So I do have some students who do that too. Um, and that's what I did a lot in my career before I was even here. Hmm. So now I teach that. When I first came here, there was this idea that, oh, nobody needs to learn to code anymore because there are all these content management systems. Isn't that great, right. right? And a lot of people still think that way. And I think that that's true. There's nothing wrong with a content management system, but it does limit you. So. Uh, this book really um, tries to set set people up uh, so that they have the mindset to kind of uh, be always on the edge. Mm-hmm. The, the The visual that always comes to my mind is the cover of that uh, Shel Sil- Silverstein book, Where the Sidewalk Ends. Mm, yes. That's what mm-hmm. innovation is, right? You're actually building the sidewalk while you're walking. <laughs> it is not easy, but it's a lot of fun. Were there any innovations that sort of came forward after your book was finalized that didn't make their way into the book, but you're definitely following them right now? Well, some some have significantly changed. So mm-hmm. chatbots, for example, sure. there was this you know era about four years ago where it's like chatbots are the future, right? And as soon as I saw what you could, even before ChatGPT came out, 
with the OpenAI play, playground, it was really clear that this is the new, you know, conversational interface. And I feel like a traditional chatbot is like so yesterday now. <laughs> um, I have uh, a student who actually digitized Tchaikovsky based on his diaries. And you can chat with a digital Tchaikovsky uh, and, and it's about his life, <laughs> right? That's crazy. Yeah. That's even possible. Now, it wasn't perfect, right? And as I mentioned, you know, the goal is not to be perfect, but the fact that this student, Piper, was actually able to get that far without even knowing any coding was quite amazing. Um, so um, another area, I think, is the whole um, digital human slash metahuman space um, that's not really covered too much in the book. We mm -hmm. get into a little bit with photogrammetry and videogrammetry. But uh, for those who don't kind of know about this, if you actually go look up uh, Unreal Engine, just go to the Unreal Engine website, and you'll see that they push this whole thing of, you know, metahumans, and it's very convincing um, fake people who then you just, you know, someone types something in a prompt, and then they're speaking, and, you know, they, they look biological, but they're not. So, you know, how... How, how, you know, how could you use that? Well, if you're in the entertainment space, this is awesome, right? Unless you're an actor, then it's a little bit scary, right? right? And you're like, how do, I, how do I stay relevant? Do I need to digitize myself? You know, how do I protect my, you know, my look and feel, essentially, right? It's like you, you suddenly become a product, as the, as, even more so as, a, as an actor. And um, with writing, for sure, this is coming up with the writer's, uh, writer's strike, but it's also the Screen Actors Guild. There's people who are, you know, talking about this and, you know, uh, ringing the, dooms, the, the, the doomsday chimes on it. But fundamentally, you know, even, I think that's going it, to – it's going to change the way that people see themselves, how they do their jobs. If you're a broadcast journalist, you really should start experimenting with metahumans <laughs> as much as you may hate that idea, right, because – the idea of a stand-up, you know, are we going to have those, right? Could it be that also you digitize yourself and then you're actually writing prompts or someone else is writing prompts that, that your scanned self said? Sounds crazy, but that's already happening in music. So there's a, mm -hmm. uh, a virtual concert uh, of ABBA that's in, uh, in London right now, and it's very popular. And they basically... Uh, the, the, the real band members in ABBA got into motion capture suits. They had themselves 3D scans and then uh, turned into metahumans, essentially. And basically the concert that you see in a, in a real stage or, or a real arena, the stage is this special kind of holographic system, right? You see the, the holographic ABBA singers are up there. And people who go to that say, I felt like I just saw ABBA in the 70s. It was amazing, right? And ABBA did perform it. But they performed it once. And then they're just getting the, you know, mm -hmm. bringing in the money. Um, that turned a lot of heads in Hollywood. And so I've been hearing that, yeah, the whole idea of digitizing yourself, if you already have a name, like there's a race to get digitized. Okay. So that's happening in entertainment. Well, what about in broadcast news? <laughs> Haven't heard much about it yet, but uh, you know what's to stop some new 
broadcast uh, you know station to pop up, and uh, it's you know that you find out a year later that oh that person I you know feel like is in my living room giving me the news does not exist. I think we're already actually seeing that online, so it's just sort of. In my opinion, this this is an example of something that it's like this would be a really good topic for a field test, right? Yeah. And also, you know, it's a you know an axis of uncertainty. You could do some analysis based on that. Um, technology acceptance model fits into that really well. You know, uh, you know, w- will people get past the idea of getting their news read by a metahuman or not? Um, you know, in some other countries uh, in Asia, that's already happening. And people are like, ah, okay. Yeah, we know that person's not real, but let's just listen to it. Our chat today has been just sort of a very brief overview of what is a much larger conversation to be had. So for people who want to sort of dive into that and find your book and go through that, where can people find your book? It's pretty easy. So you just go to emergingmediaplatforms.com, which is the uh, associated website for the book. Even if you don't buy the book, there are tutorials up on there little code libraries you can use, things like that. Um, and I have links to all the different places you can buy the book. So it's available as print, it's available as an ebook, Kindle, all of that. Excellent. Dan Pacheco, thanks so much for coming by. Appreciate the conversation this afternoon. All right. Same here. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Newhouse Impact, a collaboration between WAER and the Newhouse School at Syracuse University. Our associate producer is Emma Hudson. And a special thanks to Dr. Regina Luttrell, Associate Dean of Research and Creative Activity. Find more from the department at newhouse.syr.edu research. You can find more about this podcast at waer.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. I'm Kevin Kloss. Thanks for listening. Thank you.